Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. 2020 got us so down that it can be hard to see any good ahead. But there are better days to come. And even if we can't imagine a bright future, God can. This could be our best year ever. So look up. There's good news for 2021. Always felt the leadership of the Holy Spirit here at New Spring. And I think that's what makes this church what it is. It's, it, this is not a man-made organization. This is a God organization. And we all just sort of fill our roles. And I was just telling our executive pastor, I said, sometimes I feel like the least important person here. Because together, God has put us as a family. And we have watched God's hand on us. And, and you just, sometimes I almost wish I could invite everybody into my world a little bit. Because I don't just whip up sermons because the time is coming and we need a, we need a new series. I really try to listen to God. And there are times when God will give me series months and months and months in advance. And there are times when he'll just run me right to the wire. But I really think that's his way of keeping me where I need to be as I talk to you. Because I really want to make sure that when you come here, you hear a word from God. I'm well cognizant of the fact that a lot of you don't drive. I mean, you don't drive as far as a lot of you drive to hear my opinions. We have people who drive four hours one way to be at New Spring. And I, I always remember, no one is here to give this hour to hear what my thoughts are. There are ministries, there are churches like that, but that's not who we are. It's not our culture. We want to hear a word from God. And so this series, Look Up, has been an amazing thing for me. Because I felt like God gave it to me months before the end of 2020. And yet, as we've gotten into 2021, I have felt like each message was just the message we need to hear for that week. You know, at the end of 2020, people were saying, well, at least 2020 is about over. 2021 is coming. And we were all looking at, well, maybe it's going to be the all clear. And now many of us are looking back saying, boy, 2020 was a great year <laughs> compared to where we are now. But last week, I began a message, one of the look up messages that was taken directly from the words of Jesus. As we've had these messages, we've been looking at the look up verses in the Bible because time after time, Scripture tells us to look up. And I think it's more than just looking up physically, but instead lifting up our hearts and recognizing who God is. And you just sang it. You, when, when you poured out your worship to God and you said, all my life you have been faithful, that's what looking up is all about. It is like, Lord, when I look down, when I look around, it's scary, but when I look up, you're faithful. To me, that's what the Look Up series has been about. But as we've closed out this series, we've closed it out with really two parts. We have part one last week, and we're going to have part two today. And the reason why I felt like it's important to devote two weeks to this particular Look Up text is it comes directly from our Lord Jesus Christ as he talked about the end times. He is on the Mount of Olives, which is why we call this particular sermon the Olivet Discourse. It's interesting that he taught this message about his return on the Mount of Olives, and this was given just a short time before his death. But the reason why it's interesting is we read that when Jesus comes back, and we talked about this last week, he comes at the beginning of the seven years in what we would call the rapture or the evacuation, and he comes at the end of the tribulation seven years later 
with the battle of Armageddon to overcome those who are his enemies and set up his kingdom. The Bible tells us when he comes at the end of the tribulation that his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. And so here he is just a short time before his crucifixion, sitting on the very place that his feet would touch down at the end of the tribulation when he returns. And the sermon, I guess, began because his disciples wanted to know some answers, like we want to know some of the answers. And they said, Lord, tell us, what will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus spilled out quite a few of them. But it was at the end of that talk that we call the Olivet Discourse that Jesus gave us our look-up verse. He said, when these things begin to occur, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, I shared with you last week that I wanted to isolate four parts of that verse. These things begin, look up, redemption is drawing near. Well, last weekend we looked at the first two, which I said it was kind of a dark, it was kind of a dark message because the, these things are bad. I mean, Jesus didn't say things are going to get way better before he came back. He said things are going to get far worse. And then he said, when these things begin to happen, well, they've already begun to happen. That's why last week's talk was so salient for our situation. It is interesting. I don't know that the men will get this, but all of you ladies who have given birth, you will understand something about the signs of the last times that the rest of us will struggle with. When the word of God compares the signs of the end time, it compares it to the contractions of a woman who's about to give birth. Now, I don't know this firsthand. I just know it from being there at the time. I know that when the, right before birth happens, contractions get closer together and they become more intense. And that's what the Bible tells us the signs of the time will be like before Jesus returns. The signs will become more rapid and they will be closer together and they'll be more intense. Hey, I got to tell you, every morning when I wake up, I'm like so many of you. I take my iPhone out and just see what happened overnight. And I like look at my iPhone and look at the synopsis of what's going on. And I'm thinking, my goodness, there's three more signs that Jesus is coming back. It's the world we're living in today. But instead of looking at the, these things that are going on in the beginning of them, because that's already taken place, we're going to turn our attention to looking up. And we're going to talk about the fact that our redemption is getting close. Now, this time we're not talking about the redemption of our souls when we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're talking about the Lord starting out what life was meant to be all along. So here's one thing that you will notice in today's talk. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. As I said a few moments ago, you guys don't drive as far as you drive to hear Mark's opinions. You want to hear God's word. And the reason why it's so critical for you to hear God's word is as we get deeper into these signs, as we get deeper into the junk that's going on in our world today... You're going to need a lot more than, well, I heard a sermon about this at New Spring. You're going to need to know this is the word of the living God. And by faith, I'm going to trust God to get me through these times. It is interesting. There was an Old Testament prophet by the name of Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Nobody knows how these words are pronounced back then. There are no audio recordings. But he is in a section, his book is in a section that we call the Minor Prophets. It's not that they were less important. It's just that their books were small. There are only three chapters, I think, in the book of Habakkuk, but Habakkuk lived in very, very similar times to you and me. And Habakkuk is like, Lord, how long will you be quiet and let this go on? And, and Lord, you're too pure to look upon evil. How can, you, how can you tolerate what's going on in the world today? Those are the kinds of questions that we have. 
And God went on to answer Habakkuk and saying, I'm going I'm to do a great work. But he's, here's what he said. And this is the first of four times that this occurs in your Bible. God said to Habakkuk, the, the godly person will make it through because of their faith. And that's important today. You will make it through this time. If you're God's child, you will make it through this time, but you will make it through because of your faith. It won't be because you're smarter than everybody else. It won't be because you've heard this particular sermon. It will be because, it will be because you say, this is what the word of God says, and I'm basing my existence on this. So let's go back to our text, Luke 21, 28. Jesus said, when these things begin to occur, look up and lift up your heads because redemption is drawing near. What exactly are we talking about when we talk about redemption drawing near? Well, the term I grew up with when I was a kid is the term rapture. Basically, it just means the wholesale evacuation of believers. Now, I want to take that head on today, and I just want to give you some basics about the return of Jesus in the rapture and then give you scripture. And there's six things I want to do, which, by the way, would make me nervous. If I uh, was here a little bit before lunch and the pastor said he had six points, that would make me nervous. This is going to be a really long service. Actually, I think this has been a shorter service than most. So I want to get on my horse and ride. Here are six things we want to cover today. I want to talk about the fact that this is strange. Number two, we're going to ask the question, what's the point of the rapture? Number three, I want to show you some examples of how this fits God's pattern. If you learn God's MO, if you learn his patterns, it will give you the opportunity to know what God is doing in our world. Number four, I want to ask the question, why does it have to happen this way? The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes, those who are alive and believe in Jesus will immediately go to be with him. Why does it have to be that way? Did God have like 10 options on the table and pick this one? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Then we're going to talk, number five, about what exactly will happen when Jesus returns in the rapture. And number six, bonus material, we're going to do a pre-flight check, okay? So here we go. Let's take, let's take these six things. Let's be honest about this. The evacuation is an unusual, even strange event. How do people usually leave this earth? It's not a trick question. They die. And then... When we die, we die one at a time. So for all of us to go without dying and it be a group excursion, that is a strange thing. I will admit that. But let's, un let's unpack that for just a moment. First of all, God has shown us that he can do this. There are two people in the Bible that we read about who left this world without dying. Now, there may have been more. We just read about two in the Bible. There was a guy back in the book of Genesis whose name was Enoch. And then a little later on, there was a prophet, Elijah, both left the world without dying. For time's sake, just going to talk about Enoch. We read about him in Genesis chapter 5. You know, it's one of those chapters where you have all the begots, begots, begots. And all of a sudden, the begots are broken up with this particular mention of Enoch. Here we go. Enoch walked in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. He didn't die. He just disappeared. And, and when I was a kid, I used to listen to preachers preach about this, and they said something that was kind of corny, but kind of, I like it. They said that Enoch was so close to God that God just said, come spend the day with me, and since there's no night there, he's still there. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened. I just know God took him. Now, that's Genesis. Move over to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Your Bible students, you know what Hebrews 11 is. It's the hall of fame of faith. It's the men and women of the Old Testament who lived exemplary lives. And because of that, they're in the hall of fame. 
Enoch is in the Hall of Fame, but it's not just so much that. I want you to see what God had to say about this evacuation. Watch this. By faith, Enoch was taken. Now, the Greek word there means transferred. Okay, so let's just read it that way. By faith, Enoch was transferred from this life so that he did not have to experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was transferred, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, there are times when I want to stay away from the word rapture because it's been so stretched out of shape by a lot of preachers and writers who have written crazy stuff with their own predictions. I like the term evacuation better. But it is interesting to me that the actual Bible term here used for Enoch is the word transferred. That's an interesting word. Because quite honestly, as I look at you today, those of you who are in the South Auditorium where I'm speaking, I recognize the fact that a lot of us are not native Kansans. We are here because we got transferred. It wasn't like you woke up one morning and said, gee, I think I'd like to spend the rest of my life in Kansas. You feel that way now. Right? Can I get a witness on that? It's getting kind of thin on that for a moment. I'm a Texan. I, I lived the first 28 years of my life in Texas. And, but I got transferred here by the Holy Spirit. And so that's so beautiful to me. I mean, we, many of us know what it's like to be transferred. But Scripture tells us that Enoch was down here on the earth. And all of a sudden, God just said, Enoch, I got a trans- transfer here for you. And when we experience the coming of the Lord in the rapture, that's what's going to happen with us. We're going to be transferred. I can't wait till the rapture happens and you're sauntering around heaven and you run into Abraham. And Abraham's like, Mark, I haven't seen you here before. When did you come in? And I said, I came in with a group. I was transferred here from Kansas. <laughs> that's what the Bible is saying. Just a transfer. Now, is this strange? Yes, and God knows it's strange. Because we read about this in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, that a lot of people are going to look at this concept and say, it makes no sense. Now, this is from the message, but I love, there's parts of this that I think is so appropriate for the times that we live in. God says, you need to know that in the last days, mockers are going to have a heyday, reducing everything to the level of their puny feelings. Good morning, America. How are you? <laughs> They'll mock. So what's happened to the promise of his coming? Our ancestors are dead and buried and everything's going on just as it has from the first day of creation. Nothing's changed. So God understood that a lot of people would look at this promise and say, this is strange. So we've taken head on the strangest. Number two, what is the point of the evacuation? Our God is eternally, infinitely brilliant. And anything he does, as strange as it may seem to us, there is always a point. Here is the point in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. The Bible says God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Hang on to that for a second. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes when you're in church and you hear the term salvation, we're talking about the salvation of our soul that occurs at that moment when we recognize we're sinners and we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Some of us grew up in a tradition in which we would say, I was saved. But salvation here is not talking about the salvation of our soul. It's the Greek word sozo, which means rescued. So consequently, look at that verse again. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, which that's a term that refers to the tribulation. 
God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive rescue through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage and build one another up with this. So here's the thing that's so important to remember. The tribulation period, that seven-year period of time, the Bible says it's the worst time in the history of the world. God said if it had not been compressed, nobody would have, no one would survive it. And that's coming. During the tribulation period, God is going to pour out his wrath on Satan and those who rebel against him. Always remember this. God never declared war on anybody. Satan declared war on God in heaven, and Adam and Eve and all the human race declared war on God in this world. So there is coming a time where God will pour out his anger. I mean, how many of us look at what's going on, the wickedness of our world, and say, how long can God put up with this? Well, here's the answer. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Look at this, New Spring, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And that's always been the case, but don't we feel that today? I mean, there is such a suppression of anyone who speaks for God. And the Bible tells us God's wrath is building up. But the reason why he has to get us out of here is he is about to pour out his wrath in the tribulation period. And so it's critical that we're evacuated. Number three, let me give you some examples of how this fits God's pattern. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus said that the times around his return would be similar to some historical times. In Luke 17, verse 26, he said, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. Two verses later, he said, it will be as it was in Lot's day. Let's just slow down for a second. The times we're living in right now, right before the turn of Christ, are going to be similar to Noah's time and Lot's time. Now, the reason why I want us to think about this is I want to point out four aspects of those times. No, let's, let's start with A. In both of these situations, God's total judgment was poured out. In Noah's situation, it was a flood on the known world. In Lot's generation, it was destruction of the cities of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah. B, there was extreme sin. In Genesis 6, verse 5, the Bible says the Lord observed the extent. That's an interesting word. The Lord observed the extent of the human wickedness that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's Noah's day. Look at Lot's, and and this time I'm going to pull out a specific situation from the time of Lot. Um, It was the night before Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed, and there were two angels that came for the purpose of rescuing Lot and his family. And that night they stayed in the house with Lot and his family. And the men of Sodom came and knocked on Lot's door. That's where I want to pick it up. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. And Lot said, please don't do this wicked thing. Now look at how they responded to Lot. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. Well, we get a sense of the wickedness that was in Lot's times. And Jesus said the times that we're in right now would be similar to that. Notice that there was extreme wickedness, and when anyone spoke up and said, this is kind of wrong, they said, you're judging. By the way, let me just say something to all of us. When we advance God's judgments, we are not judging. Here's the thing. You know, there are people who say, well, I don't want to say this is wrong because I don't want to be a judge. If God said it's wrong, we're not judges. On the other hand, if God said it's wrong, to say that something is right would be a judge. God has not called us to be judges. He has called us to forward his judgments. And I know that's not popular today, but that is, we just so better grasp that in the times that you and I are living in. 
C, third thing, God's people were in the minority. In the flood, there were only eight people in the ark. In Lot's situation, there was just Lot and his two daughters. And then D, in both cases, there was an evacuation. Noah and his family were evacuated in the ark, and Lot and his family were evacuated in Sodom. Jesus says that in the times right before his return, it will be as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot. Number four, why does it have to happen this way? I mean, this idea of Jesus coming and all who are believers going to be with him. Why does it have to happen this way? Well, I've got more lengthy illustrations. Uh, teaching on this. If you want to go back to Clash of Dynasties 2, the Daniel Chronicles, I'd do a couple of messages on this. But let me just put it to you this way. The seven-year period of time is a seven-year segment in which God has to wrap up final business. It begins, this is so important, because I don't know that we can understand the rapture without this next point. It begins at a specific set moment in time, which is the Revelation of the Antichrist. You know, a lot of people have asked me through the years, who do you think the Antichrist is? I won't ever know unless God tells us up in heaven. He doesn't come until we go. So that's the set point. That's the beginning of the tribulation period. And I could teach on that for a little while. It's really pulled from a lot of places, including Revelation 6. The tribulation ends at a specific set point. The return of Jesus Christ, the battle of Armageddon, and the inception of Jesus' thousand-year kingdom. So that's what we have to understand. It's not a gradual beginning. It's not a gradual ending. It happens at a set point, and it ends at a set point. The only thing is, you and I are not involved in the tribulation period. We have been appointed for rescue and not wrath. So here's the thing. You have to understand, God has to get us out of here. I mean, it's like everybody out of the pool. And and he can't wait for us to die one by one. He's got to get us out of here at one time. That's the first part of this. There's another reason why the rapture has to happen like this, and this is beautiful. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Here's a whole chapter about the resurrection and the coming of Jesus. Paul writes, what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Now, I know there are a lot of young Adults at New Spring, and if you're 20 years old and you're in great shape and you're buff and you're ripped, you're like, "Eh, I think maybe I could take this body to heaven. (laughs) And there's some of you who've had some work done. (laughs) Like, I spent a lot of money on this body. (laughs) Look, did you read what I read? This body... Can't go to heaven. I mean, here's the thing. Heaven is awesome, and it's eternal. To try to take this body to heaven would be like putting a jet engine in a Toyota Corolla. It just ain't going to work. So are you starting to put this together? I mean, the Lord has to get us out of here at the beginning of the tribulation, and on top of that, we can't take this body to heaven. Read on. Verse 51. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Okay, God has to get us all out of here at the same time. We cannot, he can't wait for us to die and we can't take these bodies to heaven. At the end of the day, the rapture is perfectly logical. It's not like God has 10 options on the table. He just has one and it has to happen this way. Number five, what will happen 
I mean, because the rapture could happen today, it could happen tomorrow, it could happen 50 years from now. I don't know, but I know it could happen today. It could happen before the end of the message. So what exactly is going to go down when Jesus comes? There's a short summary for all of us who have ADD. There is a short summary in 1 Corinthians 15. And there's a little bit longer one in 1 Thessalonians 4. But these are so important. I'm going to give you both. Let's try 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. Here's the short version of what will happen when Jesus comes. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now, this is what's really interesting to me, because when I was a kid growing up, and I listened to preachers preach about the rapture, they got a little too dramatic, and it freaked me out. And they would say stuff like this. When Jesus comes, your feet will just begin to leave the ground and you'll start floating. You'll float up to the top of the buildings. You'll float up through the clouds. I have severe acrophobia. I would sit out there and think, I won't survive the rapture. I'll be one of those who are still alive, but I won't be at the end of it. I'll be dead halfway up. Like I said... If I had a nickel for every dumb thing preachers have said through the years, I'd be a rich man. So interesting to me. Jesus, the word of God is giving us the specifics here. In a flash. Some of you have an older translation that says in a moment. Hey, do you know the Greek word for that? It's, well, you may not know it, but you, you know a big word that comes from it. Atomos. A-T-O-M-O-S. We get a word atom from it. Tomas is the Greek word for time. A, the negative prefix A, simply means it's a, an element of time so minute that it cannot be divided. Well, we know a second is brief, but you can divide a second into milliseconds. But a Tomas means an element of time that is so small it can't be divided. And the Bible goes on to say, in the twinkling of an eye, that's not a wink, it's just how long it takes light to flash across the eye. Hey, think that through for a moment. You know what's going to happen when the rapture happens? We're here, we're there. That is so cool to me. I mean, you just get up and go to, you know, it's like, oh, it's Monday again. Bam, you're in heaven. <laughs> Can I get a witness on that? Your mother-in-law's coming to visit. No, then. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> In a flash, in an atomos, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, if we're still alive, will be changed. Okay, you ready for the expanded version? I've conducted over a thousand funerals, and probably in almost every one of them, when I've stood at the graveside, I've read this scripture here. First Thessalonians 4, verse 13, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. When we lose our loved ones, we grieve. We just don't grieve like people who don't have any hope. It's not wrong to grieve. It's natural to grieve. Grief is the shady side of love. But we don't grieve like those who say goodbye for the last time. For since we believe that Jesus died, and was raised to life again. That's how you get saved. We also believe that when Jesus returns, 
God will, and this is one of the most important phrases in your Bible, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living could be us. When the Lord returns, we'll not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Follow that away. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words. Now, there are a lot of smart people at New Spring. And you saw what I saw. And you're like, Mark, where are our loved ones who have died? Because we just saw a moment ago that they're going to rise from the grave, but you're very smart. A moment ago, you heard that Jesus is going to bring them with him. Now, you can't use the verb bring unless whatever you're bringing is already with you. If I say, I'm coming to your house and I'm going to bring the potato salad, you know the potato salad is with me. I can't bring it unless it's with me. Fair? So the Bible says that Jesus is bringing our loved ones with them, but they're going to rise from the ground. And we know this is not a contradiction because it's the same author in the same paragraph. Oh, God is teaching us something. I mean, my mom passed away back in November. Her body is in a cemetery in Burnett County in Texas. But that's not where my mom is. It's just the molecules. It is just the body that she left behind. The real person, the soul and spirit, which by the way, your soul and spirit is just all of you that's not material, is in the presence of God. And in that split millisecond, and we know it's not milliseconds too long, in that atomos, God is going to take the molecules, which all of you scientists know the molecules never completely disappear. He's going to take those molecules wherever they are, whether there was a burial or cremation or lost at sea or whatever. He's going to take those molecules. He's going to build from that an eternal body. And then the soul and spirit comes back with Jesus Christ. And it just happens, as I said. And God will figure this out. He understands the calculus. He made it. And that's what's going to happen. And it's the next thing on God's calendar when Jesus comes back. Jesus comes himself. He's not sending an angel. It's a personal this is a personal thing. Oh, I wish I had time to teach on this amount of time. The Bible talks about the church being the bride of Christ and Jesus being the bridegroom. And back in Bible days, the Eastern culture is way different from ours. There would be a public betrothal, and then the groom would go back to his hometown and build a home for him and his wife. And when the time was right, often just to heighten the excitement of it, the groom would come at night with his bridal party and take his bride back to the house that he had built. That's, that's why Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. In John 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. That's the imagery. I mean, Jesus is coming for us. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to these bodies. Will they be left behind? Will people find bodies in the streets? I don't know. That's, that's, that's above my pay grade and I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to be here. Now, let's just close this out. Here's number six. Let's do a pre-flight check. I want to talk to us who are Christ followers. 
Think about what, your life today. And you guys who know me, you know I, I never use guilt to manipulate. I just want us to be serious about something for a moment. The way you are today, is that how you want to meet Jesus? I mean, because the truth be told, some of us might be in a relationship that we know isn't healthy, isn't right, it's not going anywhere, and there's stuff in that relationship that's very toxic, and if Jesus came, we wouldn't want to meet Jesus in that relationship. Now, there are a million reasons why you should leave that relationship, but think about this one for a moment. Do I want to meet Jesus in this relationship? Do I want to meet Jesus with this particular habit in my life? Do I, do I want to meet Jesus saying the words I've gotten too comfortable saying? How do I want to meet Jesus? Hey, listen, I'll be honest with you. If I, was, if I knew Je I'm going to meet Jesus for dinner tonight over here at the waterfront, Mark would spend the afternoon getting some stuff straightened out. Well, hey, he may not wait till 6 o'clock today. Man, the signs of the time are like those women's contractions, you know. I mean, they're getting closer to close, closer together and more intense. So just asking you a question, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm working through this myself. Where you are today, your life is the way it is. Is this how you want to meet Jesus? When John F. Kennedy was running for office back in 1960, he loved to tell the story of a day that happened in, I think it was 1789 in Connecticut. Just There was some sort of phenomenon that caused the day just to become dark in the afternoon. And at the House of Representatives there in the state of Connecticut, there were a lot of these congressmen that were freaking out, thinking that it might be Judgment Day. And there were all these motions to adjourn. And Colonel Davenport, who was Speaker of the House, said this, and, and I love it. I've always loved this. He said, if it's not Judgment Day, there's no reason to adjourn. And if it is Judgment Day, I'd want to be found doing my duty if Jesus came. Is there something, you're a Christ follower, is there something you want to make right? Secondly, I want to ask you, do you have your boarding pass? I, I have just a little bit of OCD in me. So whenever I go to Eisenhower to fly out or any other airport, I, I know I've got, I've got my boarding pass, you know, on my, air, you know on, my, on my app. I have it in my wallet, you know, on my phone. But even when I'm standing at the desk, if I'm checking in luggage, I'll say, would you just go ahead and give me a paper boarding pass? I just want to make sure I've got redundancy. I've got my boarding pass. That's TMI. I would want to be real sure that I have my boarding pass for this flight. And I wouldn't want to be soft and doughy and gooey about this. I would want to know for sure that when my flight gets called, I have a seat on the plane. Do you have a seat on the plane? Let's talk about that for a moment. You don't get a boarding pass because you're better than your next door neighbor. You don't get a boarding pass because you're a member of a religion. You get a boarding pass because one day you realized you were a flawed, broken sinner and you couldn't fix yourself. And you learned that Jesus died for you on the cross and his blood paid for every sin. 
And three days later, he walked out of his grave under his own power to prove that he is the son of God and put an exclamation point on God's plan. And you came to him as a flawed, broken sinner, and you declared spiritual bankruptcy. And you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I've thought and prayed long and hard about what I'm about to say to you. The grace of God means that God will accept you no matter what if you come to him. This is one of my Bibles right here. I would be delighted today to hand this Bible to any person here today and ask you the question, can you find me one sincere person in the Bible in 4,000 years of recorded history of interaction with God? Can you find me one person in the Bible who asked God to forgive him or her? And God said, no. I'm comfortable. You can't find that. Oh, I can find all kinds of stories. I can find a woman who was taken in the act of adultery and thrown at the feet of Jesus. I can tell you about a thief who said he deserved to be crucified for what he did, who said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I can show you a cussing preacher named Peter. I I could go throughout the Bible, show you people who committed murder like the apostle Paul. All these things are bad and they're all sins, but I can't find a single person in the Bible who ever came to Jesus or God and said, would you forgive me? I'm a sinner and accepted God's terms. I can't find a single person that God said no to, and he won't say no to you. You say, Mark, I may have gone too far. Are you breathing? Do you want to be part of God's family? Now, if you don't want to be part of God's family, it's possible that you have crossed that deadline. That happens. But as long as you're here and you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you want Jesus to be your savior on the word of God, I can promise you he will not tell you no. And he will write your name in the census book of heaven and you will have in every sense of the word a boarding pass. And it'll be better than electronic. It'll be supersonic. However, there are some who look at the grace of God and figure that God has a soft, doughy middle. And their idea is it doesn't matter what you believe, that God will just bring everybody in. That is not the Bible message. Here's what God says. He'll forgive anyone, but you do have to choose. See, we needed a Savior because the human race told God no. He's looking for people who will tell him yes. And you can't tell God yes without choosing his son, Jesus. And so today, as I close out today's message, I just want to ask you, are you ready to go? Do you have your boarding pass? And if you don't have it, you can get it right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. These aren't magic words. God's just looking for a yes. You can use your own words. But if you want to pray with me, you can invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, and you'll be ready to go if he comes at 1.30 today or 10 or 30 years from now. Let's pray. I'll pray it slowly. You can decide if you want to say it. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins and I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. I want Jesus as my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I know we're at the end of the service, please just give me another 30 seconds. The reason is I have a gift box I wanna give you 
You may have been in church for 30 years, but you just got it straight today. Let me offer you a gift. It's got a New Spring Bible, a book that I wrote that will answer a lot of questions, a little journal in here, just some other cool things. Won't cost you anything. If you're on our campus and you want to just swing by and get it real quick, all you need to do is take out your phone and text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. Any info center will have this ready for you. They won't hassle your body. They just want to give it to you. And if you're here and you say, Mark, I don't have my phone with me, just go back and say, I prayed with Mark, and they'll give this to you. If you're watching online, just text PRAY to 97,000. There will be a way that you can let us know where we can send this. You guys have a great day today. We'll be back next week with Worlds of Warfare. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.